For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Because of the pandemic, graduation at West Point was always going to be bizarre this year. It's been bizarre everywhere. Some schools have staged drive through graduations. Others have gone online. But West Point was the only university that forced its graduates to return to campus, quarantine themselves for two weeks, and then sit for a ceremony that none of their friends or family could attend, all in order to watch a half-hour speech from the president. The, the heads of the army had, had begged the president, look, don't do this. Slate's Fred Kaplan watched the whole thing over the weekend. The other academies, they had virtual ceremonies. We're fine on doing that. He insisted on it. He'd never spoken at West Point before. Clearly, he wanted, he wanted the great photo op. So the West Point band played from behind plexiglass, and nearly a thousand newly minted officers sat on chairs positioned six feet apart. Yeah, they walked in with masks and then they, they took them off. I guess in, out of respect to the president who doesn't like masks. He wanted, originally, he wanted them to be in tight formation. The question was, what would the president say to these graduates? After weeks of protest over George Floyd's death, after suggesting the U.S. military should restore order around the country, and especially after federal agents used pepper spray against protesters who were in front of the White House. Were you expecting the president to say something to address what's been happening in the country over the last couple of weeks? Uh, I thought he might have made some oblique reference, which he did not. It was such a contrast to General Mark Milley, who gave a commencement address of his own for the National Defense University. He apologized. Yeah, he said, I, I should not have been there. Mark Milley is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He'd come to regret one moment in particular, walking with the president through Lafayette Square after federal officers used force to clear it of protesters. When Milley gave his graduation speech, he called that act a mistake. This, this is a bigger deal than a lot of people who don't follow this sort of thing might realize. I, I can't think of a single instance when any general officer has apologized for doing something where he's standing next to the president. It, it's a huge, huge thing, as is this whole string of events that's gone on in the last week involving officers retired and, in some cases, active duty, criticizing with various degrees of directness or obliqueness the president and his policies. Today on the show, is the military turning on President Trump? 
I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. It was back on June 1st that those protesters got cleared out in front of the White House. The operation involved several forces working side by side, the Secret Service, the Park Police, the National Guard. But the president had wanted to involve even more troops. In fact, while protesters were being driven from Lafayette Square, several hundred members of the 82nd Airborne were stationed on the outskirts of Washington, D.C., just waiting on Trump to give the signal. Yeah, these are not people holding rifles with bayonets. These are, this is heavy-duty stuff. There's been some reporting about what led up to June 1st and the conversations that went on, because the idea of having the National Guard there was a kind of a compromise, is my understanding. Is that your understanding, too? Well, I mean, there have been many instances where the National Guard has been called into cities for one reason or another. On the one hand, I mean, hurricanes and snowstorms, things like that. On the other hand, you know, putting the Rodney King rides, actually active duty forces were called in to the streets for that at the governor of California's request. The, the riots in, in Detroit and Washington, D.C. in 1967 and 68. 82nd Airborne was called into the streets. So it, it's not like this has never happened before. But, you know, Trump was allegedly talking to his advisors about he wanted to flood the, he wanted to flood Washington, D.C. with 10,000 troops. You know, we don't have 10,000 troops in all of Afghanistan now. 10,000 troops, there might not have been 10,000 protesters. How much latitude does the president have to send troops in? Well, I mean, there, there is this thing called the Insurrection Act, and it's been amended and revised several times over the decades. And uh, court decisions on anything related to national security and the use of armed forces has, has confirmed giving the president wide latitude in interpreting this in any way he wants. The Insurrection Act gives the president the power to deploy federal troops within the United States in the case of a violent uprising against the government. President Trump's near invocation of that policy, it upset many military officials, active duty, retired. And this rift shocks Fred, because speaking out against the president is not what military officers do. On the one hand, nothing that Trump has done that, that people have have protested with and spoken out against is is really an unlawful order. Uh, on the other hand, there are principled military officers who looked at the situation and said, this is no insurrection. What's going on here? We should not be involved in this. And, you know, 
when you're a military officer, you, one thing that, that really is driven home, just pounded into your brain from the moment you put on a uniform is, you know, the, the primacy of civilian authority, of following orders, following lawful orders, and you, you, you obey the civilian authority. But there's also a tradition, also pounded into your head, of, you know, you're taking an allegiance to the Constitution, not to any particular person. And, and what Trump has set himself up with is, is a tension between those two things. I mean, you've covered the military for years and years. Had you heard from military people ahead of time? Like, oh, I'm so... Well, I called around. No, there's, listen, there's there's great discomfort among a lot of military people, retired and active duty. As I said, there's this tension sometimes between following civilian, you know, the obeying lawful orders and answering ultimately with the Constitution. They've never really had to face the potential tension between those two things. I mean, the first person who spoke out, it was Admiral Mike Mullen, retired admiral, former commander of Joint Chiefs of Staff, not a rowdy kind of officer at all. I mean, really, not not the kind of guy who put himself out there, really. Mullen is, Mullen is more of a company man, kind of the ultimate company man who rises to the top. For him to write an article in The Atlantic saying, I can no longer keep my silence is just a remarkable thing. And I think it was that that finally uh, got Jim Mattis, who's been remaining silent for, for a year now. Former you know, Secretary after, of Defense. Right, who wrote this, this blistering letter of resignation, resignation and protest, and then said, nope, I'm not saying anything more. I might someday, but not now. And he said, okay, this is the someday. And he, you know, skewered not just what what uh, not just trump's reaction to the protest but trump's personally saying that you know we've had three years of immature leadership i mean you know this is wild he's a retired four-star marine general we've never seen this kind of revolt might be too strong a word but let's say strong dissension i want to focus us a little bit on the people who are currently in the administration who have been speaking out and, and their roles and how we got here. I'm thinking particularly of General Mark Milley and the Defense Secretary, Mark Esper. And these two guys were flanking the president on June 1st. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit about who these two men are? Well, I mean, General Milley, highly decorated general. He had been chief of staff of the Army before he was chairman of the, of the Joint Chiefs of Staff commanded troops in battle, uh, a decent guy who I, I'm told subsequently that from almost the moment that he was posing for that uh, photo op, regretted what he was doing. Uh, as for Esper, who a lot of people uh, nicknamed Secretary Yesper, <laughs> because he's a total yes man, his job, he, is he saw his job was to do what the president wanted him to do and not to raise a fuss. I think the thing that has endured about June 1st is really all of the imagery where you see the protesters, sometimes journalists, you know, being pushed back roughly 
And then you you see, you know, what is it for? And it's the president just standing in front of a church with a Bible. And, and then the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff was in uniform, in battle yeah. dress, by the yeah. president's side. And then he stuck around and, and was there after dark in Washington, D.C., walking the streets. Yeah, like he was looking for the next day's battleground. When you saw those images, what did you think? I remember thinking, boy, I've heard good things about this guy, Milley. This doesn't look like a good guy. It looked like, uh, you know, he was tr- he was trying to look like Patton, you know, surveying surveying the terrain for next for next day's tank offensive it was it was so disproportionate to to what to what the true situation was i i was kind of shocked really it it was pretty impressive how within a week you had just a torrent of people coming out and and pushing back on the imagery it it, it didn't even take a week the the people who actually run that church <clears throat> spoke out immediately uh, some evangelicals. And then Esper called a press conference and said he does not agree that the Insurrection Act should be applied to what was going on in the streets of Washington, D.C. The option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire of situations. We are not in one of those situations now. He said that he was telling the the active duty troops that had been called to the Washington area to go back to their bases, uh, which he later withdrew, he backpedaled on that one, but still they never actually went into the city. Uh, So then he he was called to the White House and I'm told given a real chewing out and he halted the order of going back to the bases. But, But he, he too sort of realized, Jesus, there, there are costs to my reputation and to what I'm supposed to be doing here, to to giving complete, unblinking obedience to the guy who's running things right now. I'm wondering if there's a charitable interpretation of what Mark Esper and General Milley did that night on June 1st. Is there a way to see it as choosing the least evil? You know, we have some National Guard troops there, but we won't send in, you know, the 82nd Airborne. And so it'll be a less aggressive stance and, you know, we'll sort of moderate the tone. I think that's right. Look, I I think these guys realized very quickly that they're playing along with the total loyalty game had now gotten them into trouble. But but what's remarkable is that they spoke out publicly about it. And nobody had done that uh, without getting fired first. <laughs> right. Because this instinct to assuage, I feel like it's it's been the modus operandi for the for the military for the last couple of years. Just, you know, try to try to keep things level. Yeah, no, that's what they're supposed to do. And, you know, but there's another thing, and that is that a lot of people, and this has happened a lot, they say, okay, God, this is just a nightmare. But, you know, it's a good thing I'm here. Because if I weren't here, things would be so much worse. So I've got to stick around. I've got to eat the crap that he shovels my way sometimes to keep him happy. 
and I'll do what I can behind the scenes. You know, after this administration is over, we are going to see so many interviews and books and articles by so many people saying, oh my God, he was such a monster, such a maniac. Oh, you wouldn't believe the stuff that I saved the country from time and time again by being there. We're going to see, this is going to be a popular genre of, 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 of political literature. So it sounds like to you, the difference now is not just the volume of people speaking out, though that's important, but it's the fact that we have these people in positions of power who, who go into meetings with the president having press conferences and giving speeches where they reject what the president's yeah. doing. That's a brand new thing. And it really, it sets us up for something interesting, which is all of these people will meet again. And it's hard to imagine what that meeting will look like, where you have two people who have clearly staked out very different sides of this argument. Yeah. I think Mitty must have done what he did knowing that he could be fired for it. Uh, same thing with, with uh, the Secretary of Defense. I think if Trump gets a second term, I think they will definitely be out of there. Uh, you know, he's, he's fired everybody else who's had even, who's been reported to be at odds with him. I guess I found myself wondering what will happen next time. Because in this circumstance, you had people in a meeting speaking out, saying, we don't think this is a good idea, kind of settling on this National Guard situation and regretting things afterwards. So to me, the true test is the next time you're in that meeting ahead of time, what do you say? Are you going to resign over sending the National Guard in? Because you realize that was a mess last time. Well, they, they're thinking about it now. And I one thing Trump knows that they're thinking about it now. I'm not sure if there is going to be a, a next time. It, it, again, you know, the, the military people who had to deal with this, the officers who'd been trained in these things for a long time, there, there are long been these tensions between obeying lawful orders from the commander-in-chief versus following constitutional principles, and you have a commander-in-chief who doesn't care about those principles. I think now a lot of officers have thought that one through, and they've come down on, they know where they stand on it, and maybe, maybe Trump realizes that they know where they stand on it, and he doesn't want to push them any further. But I, I think it took them a while, it took some of these officers a while to achieve clarity on this. Uh, they now have that clarity, and I think if there is a next time for something like this, I think there will be uh, much stronger and even earlier pushback. Yeah. Yeah. And so many of these folks have been fired, like not necessarily military, but you know, inspectors general, <laughs> you know, people who have testified. It just makes you wonder. They're... Fired for doing their job. Yeah. And there seems to yeah. be a little bit of a line of people who are willing to fill in for a few months to just keep things going. That's I guess that's my concern when I look at it, where it, when people if people being fired or people resigning, you know, when does it matter, I guess? 
Well, I mean, it, 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 they're not always stepping in. I mean, the, the ranks of the Foreign Service, for example, are, I, I forget the exact percentage, but I mean, you know, something like a third of Foreign Service officers have either quit or been fired. And, and you, don't, you don't rebuild that. It takes, it takes a long time to rebuild something like that. Uh, the applications for, to take the Foreign Service exam are way down. Uh, if I were somebody, a young man thinking about going into the army and looking at what's been going on, I might, I might decide otherwise. These, these things do have a corrosive impact. A president who takes advantage of the powers he has to do a lot of institutional and ethical and moral destruction can can have a huge corrosive impact on on, on politics, society, culture. Uh, it, it's 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 going to take a long time to come out of this. Fred Kaplan, thank you so much for joining me. Sure, my pleasure. Fred Kaplan is Slate's War Stories correspondent. He's also the author of the book. The Bomb, Presidents, Generals, and the Secret History of Nuclear War. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Mary Wilson, and Jason DeLeon. And I'm Mary Harris. I'll be back here tomorrow. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.